Welcome to the North Shore Vineyard Church Audio Podcast. I'm Chris Schroeder. On this podcast, we have audio from our Saturday night service on March 20th, one of our few remaining Saturday night services that we're going to be doing, because come Easter, we are going to launch our Sunday morning service. So we're going to kind of do away with the Saturday night thing, kick off Sunday mornings now. On this podcast, we have a message I did called The Passion and the Compassion of Christ. And in this message, as with the last one, we're kind of looking into the role of suffering, trials, as Jesus experienced them, and and then what the relevance is on that in our own personal journeys with Christ. So thanks for listening, and don't forget, we do have resources for our 40 Days of Faith uh, uploaded Monday through Friday, devotionals you can go through. Um, So check that out, and thanks for listening. Well, off to the message for the night. the passion and the compassion of Christ. Um, you know, when I was a kid growing up in Midland, Texas, it got awfully hot in the summer. Anybody been out to West Texas during the summertime? It's, it's frequently over 100 degrees, sometimes 110 degrees. And my dad uh, would take me to the public pool in the summer. And um, we would get into this Toyota Celica with vinyl seats. Anybody remember vinyl seats? They don't still make vinyl seats, do they? Yeah. Yeah, and so vinyl seats are not very fun, you know, when, we, when you're wearing shorts and it's 110 degrees outside in the middle of summer. But what made my trips to the, to the local public swimming pool really fun was that my dad would turn on the heater in the car uh, for our journey over there. Some of y'all are saying, this explains some things about you. Uh, <laughs> why would my dad turn on the heater? No, it wasn't the radiator, and, and he wasn't just cruel. Uh, so we would enjoy, so I would enjoy the water. It was my dad's twisted way of, of trying to increase the enjoyment of the, the refreshment of, of the, the swimming pool. And fortunately, we were only about a mile and a half away, so I, I never did get heat exhaustion on the way to the swimming pool. It, it, uh, it really worked. <laughs> like, you're really glad to have that, that swimming pool when we got there. But... You know, we're in a season right now, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a season that the church has been celebrating uh, almost since, you know, going back to about the second century, the season of Lent. And uh, we hadn't really talked about Lent much. We got this kind of 40 days of faith thing going on. But Lent has, has traditionally been probably one of the most solemn times on the Christian calendar. Uh, if you look at all the, all the things that Christians celebrate, Lent is really one of these times where we we, we look at, you know, kind of look at the suffering of, of Jesus. And it, it kind of works the same way of, of turning the heater on going to, to the swimming pool. The idea is to kind of look at some of the darker sides of Christianity. You, you thought, oh, Christianity, I didn't know it had a dark side. Well, uh, you know, kind of some of the things that we don't typically uh, find books on in your Christian bookstore. You know, I, I mentioned that 
a, uh, a saying by Jesus last week, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. You won't find an inspirational Christian calendar with that saying on it. And, 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 and Lent is kind of the time that we look into kind of some of, the, some of the harder aspects of it, the trials. A lot of people, you know, I know it's kind of a joke down here in Louisiana, some of the fasting that people do, you know, it's like I'm going to fast meat and, and just eat a whole lot of fried shrimp. Um, but, but a lot of times people fast because it's just kind of a way to, to get solemn and kind of uh, remember kind of the hard times and, and kind of partake ab- about that as we build up towards Resurrection Sunday on Easter. And so it's kind of like, you know, this, this built-up tension, this built-up expectation for really the most holy day, the most exciting day on the Christian calendar, which is Easter. So tonight we're going to be kind of looking in, you know, last week I talked about God and the hard times. Tonight we're going to be looking a, a little bit at the suffering of Jesus Christ and what that means to us. Um, so the scripture I want to start out with tonight is uh, John, and I put 12, 20 through 31. I, I'm just going to kind of chop it up a bit, though, because it's a whole lot of scripture. And i got a lot of scriptures tonight, so it's going to be like a big Bible study in here. Is that okay? So if you have any problems, you just take it up with the man upstairs, because this is, this is, uh, <laughs> it's the Bible. Um, John, John 12, verse 23 Jesus says this, he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Verse 27, Jesus goes on to say this. He says, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, for it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, Glorify your name. Lord Jesus, tonight, God, we, we pray that we could connect with you and your suffering, Lord, so that we could maybe fully experience your presence in the trials and the suffering, Lord, in the unanswered questions and the doubts, the struggles that we face in our life tonight, God. So just come. And speak to us. You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, well, not a couple of weeks, the beginning of this year, how many of y'all were here for my New Year's resolution? Yeah, I, my resolution was that I was going to do a garden. And so um, I've prepared another fast-paced video. Uh, and it may, it's, it's what some are calling a tour de force of seed planting. I think that's what Roger Ebert called it. Um, we're going to show this to you here real quick. This is um, filmed on the, the Schroeder Farms in Abita Springs. We're planting onion seeds here. Evergreen bunching onions. These are little bitty seeds in here. They're like little black rocks and so we dig the peat out I'm only supposed to do three seeds per thing I haven't been like real good at keeping it down to three because there's so many seeds in here I think I just put two in that one and then we put that peat on top squish it all back together hopefully we'll have some good onions here to feed to our kids Ew! 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 
It's my camera girl, Tevia, uh, video in it. So that, that's, that's my update. I, I, knew, I, I know you're going to get a lot out of that, and so some of you were, are, are, are uh, wondering about planning a garden yourself, but uh, just, just stick with it. Um, but, you know, these seeds that I planted, we, we had a lot, of, especially those onions, I had a lot of these seeds left over, so I put them in little Ziploc bags and put them on top of the refrigerator. But you know what? I went to sleep that night, and I didn't worry that these onion seeds and these seeds for the tomatoes and bell peppers and all these things that I'm planting, I didn't worry that they were going to sprout in those bags. It didn't cross my mind, right? Why is that? Because a seed, unless you put it in the ground, it's not going to do its job, right? Jesus, in, in, in John chapter 12, he uses the analogy of a seed for himself. He says, unless a seed falls in the ground and dies. It's not going to produce fruit. It's not going to do its intended purpose. And Jesus was, was talking about a day that was going to come. And it was going to be, you know, the, when that seed goes into the ground, it's a dark day. That, that seed goes into isolation. It's cut off from everything else. But that's the very birthplace for new life springing up. And Jesus said, that's, that's what's going to happen with me. Um, but as I said last week, the disciples, they had selective hearing, just like we have selective hearing, Right? Jesus was very clear the whole time in his ministry. He kept saying things like he's going to have to suffer, and his disciples didn't hear it. I I, I mentioned this last week, and I I want to revisit it again. Matthew 16, we see uh, the disciples gathered around Jesus, and Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And the disciples said, well, some think you're John the Baptist, resurrected. Some people think you're Elijah. And, uh, And so Jesus said, well, what about you guys? Who do you say that at? And so Peter says, you're the Christ. You know what that word Christ means? It means the Messiah. A lot of people think Christ is Jesus' last name. Not, okay? <laughs> Christ meant Messiah. And uh, so, so Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And what does Jesus say? He said, Peter, you're blessed. You're blessed because the Spirit of God actually revealed that to you. Peter, you didn't think that up yourself, that you got a revelation from the Spirit of God. And so uh, Peter's feeling pretty good about himself. And uh, so we pick up the, in Matthew 21, Jesus, uh, Matthew 16, 21, Jesus says, uh, it says that from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Just a little sidebar. Rebuking God, not not a good path, okay? Uh, (laughs) Peter rebukes Jesus. He says, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Does it strike you as strange that Peter, in one moment, is having a revelation from God? And Jesus is going, Man, you're blessed. You just you had this amazing revelation from God. And then the next moment, he's being called Satan by Jesus. Does that strike you as odd? What's going on here? Well, 
problem is the word Messiah, what it meant, you know, Peter gets a revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. But that word Messiah, it meant something different to Peter than it meant to Jesus. What what did the word Messiah mean to Peter? Well, Peter, in the 12 disciples that Jesus had, there were several guys that were called zealots. You know what a zealot was? A zealot was someone who wanted to overthrow the government. They're the, the revolutionaries. They saw the Roman occupation of Israel, and they're like, this is, this is just awful. We got this pagan empire that's trying to hold us down. We need to overthrow them. We need to take up arms and, and, and fight them. And there had been many false messiahs who'd come between the Old Testament and the New Testament and actually tried to do that thing. And many of them ended up martyred. So... When Peter gets the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, when God speaks that to him and and Jesus commends him for that, that's great. Except Peter, I think, was beginning to think that Jesus was the same kind of Messiah that everybody else was expecting. See, everybody was expecting someone who was going to come in there and kick butt and drive the Romans out. And I can just see Peter. He's starting to, you know, after all all these years with Jesus... And they, the 5,000 that they fed one time with the sack lunch and another, another time where they had 5,000 over here and the crowds were starting to come around Jesus like crazy. He's getting popular. He's getting a reputation. And I can just see that, that Peter is thinking, this thing is actually going somewhere. This guy's the Messiah. He's the one who's actually going to turn things around. Any day now, he's going to call for a revolution. But then... After, after Peter gets this revelation, Jesus starts telling Peter how it's actually going to happen. And Peter's like, Jesus, wait, hey, just a second. You, you, you're, you're the Messiah. You just said that I got the right answer there. What are you talking about dying, suffering? I thought we were going to Jerusalem because you were going to all of a sudden get everybody to rise up and throw off this pagan government. I thought that we were going to demand our rights. And Jesus said, no. He said, your mind is on the things of men, not the things of God. See, the strength of God many times appears weak to us, doesn't it? The strength of God appears weak. I I put a quote there on your outline. Greg Boyd wrote in his book, Myth of a Christian Nation, he said, when God flexes his omnipotent muscle, it doesn't look like Rambo or the Terminator. It looks like Calvary. When God wants to do something very strong and display his power, it looks like Jesus going to the cross. That's completely upside down, isn't it? See, the people who were expecting the Messiah in Jesus' day they weren't even expecting God. They expected that they, they knew it had been prophesied and that someone was coming, but they were just expecting somebody who would restore Israel to its, its golden age, like under King David and under Solomon. Jesus is the Messiah. He doesn't come telling people to take up arms. He doesn't come saying, demand your rights, you know, fight the powers, demand your First Amendment, your Second Amendment rights. Jesus says, no, we're taking a different path here. And it may look like weakness to you, but unless a seed falls in the ground and dies, it's not going to bear fruit. It looks weak, but it's the very power of God. I call this this message the passion of Jesus. 
You know, that word passion, it kind of takes on a different continent, uh, you know, a different meaning in our, our modern context, right? We, we think of passion as love or, or, you know, a desire for something. But the word passion actually originally meant suffering, the suffering of Jesus. And I want us to look at what this, this, this idea of the passion of Christ looked like. I think if you've been around an evangelical church, you know, the idea that Jesus died for our sins, uh, you know, took the penalty, we're, we're, we're pretty familiar with that. But I think too often we've kind of made it into this theological concept that's kind of out there, and we forget that Jesus didn't just take the penalty of our sin. He actually was the victim of sin. He was actually someone who was sinned against over and over. Let's look at a few things that, that Jesus experienced. He experienced slander. Have any of you ever been slandered before? You ever had somebody just try to just ruin your reputation? I have. That's not fun. I remember years ago, the, the, the first church that I'd been a part of, uh, you know, I, I'd done some ministry with, and we felt that at one point we needed to step down from there. And at that same time, I had a band, and we were kind of traveling around doing worship. We were getting ready to do a worship uh, youth conference over at, at a large church over in Baton Rouge, and all of a sudden the youth pastor calls me up about a week before. He said, um, look, um, before you come over here, I just needed to check. I, I heard the reason you're not with that church anymore is because you had moral fa- failure in your marriage. And uh, is that true? And I'm like, what? Where did you hear that? It was, you know, I was just at a pastor's thing, you know, a pastor's meeting the other day, and somebody brought that up. They they thought that was why. I didn't know. I just wanted to call you. Like, dude. Well, then it turned out that, you know, people were spreading rumors that our band was getting into voodoo and witchcraft. I was like, what? This is crazy. And, uh, Fortunately, there wasn't a whole lot of internet use at that time because I'm sure you could have taken, you know, immorality and witchcraft and, you know, it could have turned into some really crazy thing. But slander, Jesus was slandered. I mean, that's just a, a small thing. Jesus was actually called Beelzebub, which means Lord of the Flies, the, the Prince of Demons. He was, his power for healing people was actually attributed to, to, to the demonic, to the enemy of God. He was slandered. He was rejected. Anybody been rejected before? How would you like that? Jesus was rejected. He was rejected by, by the religious elite of his day. He was rejected by regular everyday people. You know, we look at the week leading up to Easter. You know, there's a, there's a story in Scripture where Jesus comes back to Jerusalem. The first day he's riding in on a donkey, and they're yelling, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. They're like, this is awesome. This is the guy who's going to come in and set things right. But by the end of the week, that same crowd, what are they yelling? Crucify him. Crucify him. Jesus was rejected. He was hated. He was scorned. He was, con- he was looked at with contempt. Have you ever had someone look down on you? Just like you're, you're, you're not worth anything. Just contempt. Jesus suffered contempt. What about betrayal? Have you ever been betrayed before? I think that's one of the worst things because you open up your heart to someone. You you can't be betrayed by someone unless you let them in, right? 
It's, it's the opening your, up your heart to someone and letting them in and trusting them that if they take that and, and, and they, they go the wrong way with that, that hurts, doesn't it? I think betrayal is one of the hardest things we can deal with. But Jesus, he was betrayed by his very closest friends. You know, Jesus, he, he poured three years of his life into Judas. I mean, he, he, Judas was right there with him, right in the thick of it. And I don't, you know, I know people have certain theological ideas. I, I don't, I for one, don't think that, that Jesus, uh, because he became a man, I don't think he was like thinking, well, Judas is, you know, from the very beginning, Judas is the one that's going to screw it up. I think Jesus completely gave his heart out there. And I think at some point he knew that Judas was going to betray him, and he said that. But Jesus put his heart out there. He poured his life into these people. And then the night that he was betrayed by Judas, where did all his friends go? Every single one of them, even Peter, even John, they all took off running, and they all hid. Jesus knows what it's like to be slandered. He knows what it's like to be um, hated. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be scorned. I think too often we kind of look at Easter, we kind of consider the, the physical suffering that Jesus went under, but we don't consider the emotional abuse that Jesus took in our place. Few of us will ever touch just a fraction of the emotional side of what Jesus faced. But on top of that, he was beaten within an inch of his life, whipped, bruised, spit upon, cursed, and then finally he was crucified. And crucifixion, that was like about still in the history of mankind. That the Romans, they were good at killing people, and they were good at killing people slowly and brutally and, and in a way that would make you not want to commit a crime. The whole thing with crucifixion was like sticking up a, a sign that said, you know, if you do something bad, it's going to be you because they would leave them on the cross sometimes for days, sometimes for weeks. It's a horrible way to die. But, but know this, Jesus suffered all these things as a human. He didn't, he didn't suffer this. You know, he was God in the flesh, but he didn't touch his godness. He suffered it. He fought it on human terms. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or exploited. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What does that mean? Have you ever known anybody? Perhaps you're, perhaps you're one of these people in here who you may know a police chief or someone down at the police station and you get pulled over by a cop. And Have, have you ever known anyone who's kind of dropped a name to try to get out of a ticket? Anybody know anybody who's done that before? I mean, I'm sure there's probably nobody in here that would do that. But uh, 
Or have you ever known someone that, that gets in trouble, maybe not speeding, but gets in trouble with some other thing, maybe taxes, maybe some civil code, and all of a sudden they try to pull some strings. They try to leverage a relationship, try to leverage some of the power in their life to, to make that happen. What this verse is saying, Jesus had every right as God to use Godness. To, you know, any moment he could just use the God card. But he didn't. <laughs> the God card. <laughs> Need one of those. Uh, but he didn't. He did this all as a human being. He humbled himself and he didn't exploit his position as God. He faced all of this as a human. So, what the heck? What does that mean? Does that mean anything to us that he faced it as a human? Yeah. And this brings me to the second half of this message. The passion and the compassion of Christ. Compassion, the word means in the dictionary, sympathetic pity and concern for the suffering or misfortunes of others. Hebrews 4, 14 through 15 says this. It says, that is why we have a great high priest who has gone to heaven, Jesus the Son of God. Let us cling to him and never stop trusting him. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all of the same temptations we do, yet did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and therefore there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it. There's the, the passion of God, the suffering that he went through physically, mentally, on our behalf as a human, but then there's the compassion of Christ. You know, someone, may have been someone here, I can't remember who told me this, but there's a, a new reality show on. Uh, well, there's probably a few of them. But the one I'm talking about, I haven't seen it yet, but apparently there's a show where it takes the CEOs of, of companies, and somebody seen this? And, and then it gets them to do kind of the entry-level Grunt jobs in in the, in the company that that uh, they're what's that undercover, undercover boss. Thank you. And uh, I I heard that on one of these episodes it was the 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 head of um, waste management and then he uh, ends up you know uh, being a trash guy for a few weeks. It gets gets fired. You know and and. And kind of the point of the show is by the end of the show, these, these CEOs, these upper guys, all of a sudden they got a little bit more compassion on the people down in, in, in their company. All of a sudden, you know, they understand it in a different way. Well, that's a TV show. These CEOs, they do this for a couple of weeks, you know, for something that they probably make some royalties off the TV show, so it's not really that bad of a sacrifice but you know what? Jesus, he didn't just visit our world for three weeks. He didn't just slum it with the humans. He actually became one of us. And he lived a whole life as one of us. He moved into our neighborhood. He faced all the limitations that we face, except he didn't sin. <laughs> he didn't participate in the sinful systems around him. And it says here in in. In uh, Hebrews, it says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. He doesn't understand our weaknesses as someone far off 
He understands them as a human because he's been there. And what's this mean? It says that in Hebrews, it says that when we pray, we go through Jesus to get to the Father. And so it means that Jesus understands what you're going through. How does he understand? Because he's been there. Are you feeling betrayed tonight by someone? Are you feeling slandered? Are you feeling hurt? Have you got friends who are sick? Friends who are uh, in a bad spot? Guess what? You're approaching a God who knows, not as God, but knows as a human. We have boldness to come before him because he knows what we're going through. And we can ask for mercy. We can ask for help. I got to tell you, this this last couple of weeks, it's been a really hard couple of weeks. Um, Mike's um, nephew, um, a guy that was going to the Kenner Vineyard, Matt Bertusi, 20 years old. He's been suffering with uh, a, a form of cancer for a long time. And uh, this week, they, they had to, he had a heart attack and they had to um, pull the plug on him yesterday. And it, it was one of the most heartbreaking things. And two weeks ago, the, the pastor of the Vineyard Church in Slidell died out of the blue, you know? Well, out of the blue to most of us. He was kind of suffering with some cancer, too. It's been a hard, it's been kind of this <laughs> just darkness, you know, this depression. A lot of people are hurting. And I know in these times when, when we have those who are near to us, who are suffering, who are hurting, when we're facing times in our own lives where we're facing either sickness or we're facing emotional things or, or, or things like that, we so often want to just say, why, God? <laughs> why? Well, I can tell you this. I'm confident this stuff doesn't come from God. <laughs> I'm confident of that. And I know that even though I haven't got all this figured out, I know that Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. And that's the God that, that we're encouraged when we're facing hard times to run to him and to ask for grace, to ask for mercy, and that he will give it to us. You know, I don't think any of us are going to have all of our, our questions answered. I've, I've been, the last few months, I've been doing a whole lot of reading, a theology based on suffering and trials. I've been doing a lot of reading. It's real uplifting, fun reading. <laughs> and there's a lot of different theologians and scholars who are grappling with the issue of why, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to bad people? What's going on here? And we'll probably go into some of that someday down the road. And I don't know. And I got to tell you, I've had Christians offer me some knuckle-headed answers when me and Dina have faced things in our life. And they've said things like, like Job's friends, if you ever read the book of Job, well, oh, it's because there's sin in your life. It's because you're not doing this right. You're not living right. And that's why you're suffering. I don't believe that. What I do believe is that Jesus knows, and if we can understand that, Jesus sympathizes with us in our weakness, in our pain, in our suffering, that we can run to the God who went through the passion and we can receive compassion in our time of trials.
And that's what gets me through. I want to close tonight with a, a quote from one of my favorite authors, a New Testament scholar by the name of N.T. Wright. He writes this in his book, For All God's Worth. He said, For All God's Worth. He said, We talk of taking up the cross or having a cross to bear as though God somewhat arbitrarily gave each of us some pain or trouble just to make things difficult on us, to stop us having too easy of a life of it. But it's not so. Just as evil is more than the sum total of human wrongdoing, and just as God's victory over evil is more than the sum total of subsequent human loving, so our ministry of reconciliation is more than simply words we speak and the physical acts we perform. We ourselves, as whole persons, are caught up in the process in ways beyond our understanding so that our suffering, whatever it may be, becomes a part of Christ's own passion, of God's own passion, and such brings healing and reconciliation of the world. We will not understand in the present time how it is that our pain, our illness, our heartbreak, and our deep frustration is somehow taken up into the pain of God and the healing of the world. But if we offer it back to God, that is precisely what will happen. If we offer it back to God, that's precisely what will happen. What you're going through here, whatever pain whatever suffering, whatever hard times you're facing in your life, and maybe you're just in a point in your life you know, where you're not facing anything crazy, that's great. Enjoy it. <laughs> but that stuff that you're facing, if we will trust God with it, it will somehow be used for the healing and reconciliation of the world around us. If we can offer that to Christ, if we can offer that to God, if we can bring that to the cross of Christ, it'll be part of the healing of the world around us. I've seen this to be true in my own life. I got to tell you, been through all kinds of crazy things in my short time as a Christian. And 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 none of them were, you know, a lot of them weren't fun. <laughs> a lot of them didn't make sense, and I couldn't find an answer. But if I'd offer them to God, if I would trust God, if I would take them to the cross of Christ, God would somehow use this thing to bring healing and reconciliation to those around me. So tonight, I just, I want to close by singing this song again that we sang in worship at the cross. I'll just do it with the piano here. And I want you to take whatever you're going through. Maybe you're going through an illness. Maybe you are going through a, a relational problem. Maybe you're fi facing financial things. Maybe you're just hurting for someone else tonight, someone else that's going through it. And I want you to take those things. As I sing this song, you don't have to sing along right now. I just want you to get with God and offer these things to him. You're saying, God, I don't understand. I'm in a rough spot right now, but I trust you. I bring these things to you tonight.